My name is Dan Jarvis, one of the pastors here. I have a question for you this morning. What was your favorite toy as a kid? Maybe think like age eight, age seven, something like that. Turn to your neighbor if you have an answer and tell them what you think your favorite toy was. And then try to remember what happened to that toy. Like, where is it right now? So for me, um, by far and away, my favorite toy was Legos. How many of you said Legos as one of your answers? Anybody else out there? A couple of you. All right, that's good. A little bit of a hint on the screen, right? Um, so... My parents bought me the castle sets of Legos, so I had all sorts of, you know, horses and medieval knights and javelins and things like that in my Lego collection. And it actually, like, Legos don't go bad. They still exist. A heartbreaking moment was when, you know, we started having kids of our, home, of our own, and Melissa and I called back to my parents and said, hey, all those Legos, you know, could they migrate to our house? And they said, oh, we sold it all at a garage sale. Like, what? That's, like, that's a lot of value. I mean, that's like a big investment loss there. Um, so we have accumulated a lot of Legos at our house and a, a number of other things too, Bionicles and Trios and the Legos that don't quite fit with the real Legos. Like we've got lots of, lots of toys. And one of the most dreaded chores is when the all points bulletin goes out that someone needs to clean the basement playroom because the basement playroom floor is covered with Legos and Lincoln Logs and everything else along with maybe even some like wrappers of you know chips or goldfish or you know it can get pretty bad right over time and of course when we when we make this announcement what we find out immediately is that no one made the mess it's really amazing. Every single person did not have anything to do with the mess. In fact, I wasn't even home, is what we hear. Okay, well, someone still has to do it. So eventually, the, um, the direction ends up having to be, we're not going to call the room clean until we can vacuum it without sucking up all the Legos. So that means someone has to really get down there and sort things out and, and work it out. And, uh, and so for years, we've had this challenge, right? And those of you who have Legos at your house, you know, you know the challenge too. And um, I remember when, when some of our kids were younger, but they could read, we started making them lists and sending them downstairs with the list. So we would say, you need to pick up the books, and then you can pick up the videos, pick up the Legos, clean up everything, take out the trash, and then you can be done. Well, what we would get would be predictably the same thing that any of you would feel if you had that chore. You kind of a sigh, like, oh, man, of the thousand things I could do right now, that is number 1,000 on my list. I don't want to do it. And so, you know, some sort of sigh and groan. And what I would get from my kids here and there would be this question. Dad, how many Legos do I have to pick up? Now, put yourself in my shoes. What, what is the answer to that question? Right, that's the, that's the answer. But that's not going to work for the kid. That, so what, what's behind that question is, Dad, what is the minimum thing that you're requiring so that I can get on with my life? Right, that's really what the question is. And so we, we used to try that. We would send them down with the list and we would have 
numbers on the list. You need to pick up 10 books, you need to pick up 150 Legos, you need to pick up eight pieces of trash, and then you can be done. Of course, it's really hard to count and verify any of that. And what I would realize, you know, go down as somebody says 150 Legos, well, they would pick up the, the little castle or something that was already built and throw it in the tub and go, done, you know? Okay, that wasn't the spirit of the law at all. And uh, so, so I don't know that we've actually officially solved that problem in our household even to this day. Probably if you went to our basement, you would see Legos on the floor. Um, and I actually think that the question about how many Legos we have to pick up is a question that all of us ask when we're feeling a little bit more selfish about life. Because when God tells us to do something, like to love someone or to give something or to have hospitality or be kind, kind of say, okay, I understand as a Christian I'm supposed to do that, but Lord, how much do I have to do that? I would really rather do my own thing. So you're telling me to share and to love, okay, okay. What is the minimum required distribution of love you want from me so that I can do it and then get on with my agenda? Now, we would never say it that way, right? That sounds terrible to say. But that, you know, that could happen in our hearts. So turn to the Bible to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read this text together and see Jesus' answer to the Lego question. Now, it starts with Jesus connecting with an expert in religious law. So back in this time, the, the seminary grads, like the people that really like to debate theology, they, of course, they only had the Old Testament, so they would become an expert in the Old Testament. And they would know every jot and tittle of the book of Leviticus, for example. They would take the Ten Commandments and they would debate it out, like exactly how do we keep these commandments and what do we need to do and how do we stay as pure as possible. So there'd be all sorts of debates. They would ask questions of each other. You might even go to a rabbi and kind of get their opinion. You meet a new rabbi, a new teacher. You say, okay, rabbi, what is the greatest commandment in your opinion? Uh, rabbi, of all the things in the law that we need to think about, what do you think we should be thinking about? Because there's a lot to think about, right? So Jesus comes along, and Jesus is a new teacher, new rabbi. So the experts in religious law kind of enjoy challenging Jesus with this because in part, they want to find out if Jesus is on their side of whatever the debate is. And sometimes they were actually trying to trap Jesus by getting him to say something that would contradict one of his teachings, which they didn't like. Okay, So, so Jesus has that kind of going on around as he's traveling around different different teachers of the law different pharisees different experts would come up and they would toss their big question at him so that happens in chapter 10 verse 25 when it says one day an expert in religious law stood up to test jesus by asking him this question teacher what should i do to inherit eternal life so teacher you know and we all have our opinions on this but what do you think we're supposed to do to inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus knew what was going on here, so he turned it right back at the guy. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, there was another time when a, a expert in the law came to Jesus and said, what is the most important thing in the law? 
And Jesus said the same thing to that guy. Like, here, this expert, he had the right answer. If you love God and you love your neighbor, when you do that in your heart, in essence, you will fulfill the rest of the law. That is the heart of the law. So here the guy had the right answer, and yet maybe something wasn't quite right in his heart. Because Jesus says, right, man, if you do that, you'll live. That is the right road to be on. But look at verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, how many Legos do I have to pick up? Who is my neighbor? Like, loving your neighbor sounds very inspirational, right? It makes a great t-shirt, great billboard, great, great statement of belief. Do I really have to love the neighbors I don't like? What about the neighbors that are far away? What about the neighbors that are different than me? What about the neighbors that, like, like to talk too much or the neighbors that won't clean up their yard or the neighbors that bother me? What about the neighbors that are my enemies? Like, I'd rather not love them, so... What if I just love my literal neighbor next door? Or what if I just love, you know, the neighbors that I pick? Who exactly is my neighbor? And is there a way that I could be neighborly to that person, check it off the list, and then move on with my own agenda and say, hey, I did it. I loved my neighbor. Well, Jesus answers that question with a story of which you're probably familiar, the story of the Good Samaritan, a parable. So we're going to read that together. Verse 30. Jesus replied with a story, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So we have a Jewish guy bleeding and potentially dying on the side of the road. And when we talk about a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's not like it's a paved highway. It's not like there's little emergency phones down the way. I mean, this, he's out in the wilderness somewhere, and if someone doesn't help him, he'll probably die. So there's really good news for him, because thankfully, someone from the church happens to be walking by, right? Look at this, verse 31. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. You can almost imagine the anguish in the person's voice as they're dying on the side of the road and the guy's walking by and he's calling out, Pastor Bill, come back, I need you. <laughs> Pastor Bill was busy, something else that day, so he didn't help. Well, then verse 32, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him. And the guy thinks, thank goodness the deacons are here, right? They're going to help me. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, this is Jesus speaking now to the lawyer again. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? The man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, 
Now go and do the same. That's the kind of love your neighbor as yourself calling that you have. That's what the law is asking you to do. Not just to love the neighbors that are convenient to love, but actually to love any neighbor. Now, when you look at the story, we don't really appreciate what's going on because we're not from Samaria or Judea, but uh, back in the day, these would have been cultures that were very much at odds with each other. So normally, a Samaritan and a Jew would not have a conversation. They tried to stay out of each other's way, not even go on the same roads, not even be in the same area. Uh, they just didn't get along for many, many historical and cultural reasons. So the fact that the Samaritan, it says he was despised. He was despised by the Jews, not by, obviously, his own people. He's walking down the road. And if, I mean, if you think about it, if anyone you would sort of expect them to help, it would have been the priest or the temple assistant. Like their job is to help people. But the person you would not expect to be a neighbor would be your enemy, the Samaritan. And yet when the Samaritan comes, he goes way out of his way to help this Jewish man and really demonstrates love and neighborhood in a way that the priest and the temple assistant didn't. And Jesus said, that's the kind of love you're supposed to have. Don't just love the people that are just like you or convenient to love, but you have a heart to love anybody, to show compassion when you need to. So we're going to go back to the story in just a moment, but I wanted to introduce our series for the month of September, which is to live generously. There is no greater way to experience joy in your life and just honestly to have fun as a Christian believer than to, than to live generously. Because once, when, when you live generously, it means that your heart is not just thinking about yourself. Truly, really, if you just think about yourself, you will eventually get bored. Okay, just give it some thought, it's true. Because you just run out of like how amazing you are and suddenly, you know, I really rather think about something else. When you start to live generously, you realize that you could be on mission, you could have an adventure, you could be serving and caring for others. Your life isn't just all pointing back to you. So the, the things that you have, the money that you have, the time you have, the talents you have, it doesn't all just aim right back to you and making yourself feel good. Instead, now your, your world opens up and things get a lot more interesting. So in this series, we're going to celebrate different forms of generosity and then challenge each other to give and love the way that Jesus did. Starting next week, we'll walk through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We'll deep dive on that text really to understand how we're to be generous this is just the warm-up tonight, or today. And I'd like to give you a little bit of a challenge at the end of this to practice generosity this week, okay? Generosity is a major part of overcoming greed. So if you find yourself just so taken with the next thing that you need, you know, the, the ever-growing list of whatever it is, a gadget or a, you know, a game or a piece of clothing or a house or a car, there's always going to be more. And if you let your heart get carried away with that, you just get trapped in an endless cycle of wanting more. Uh, it's not really a good way to live. Keeping perspective. Generosity is a part of enjoying work because if work just points back to you, and it can be a drudgery, but when you realize you can work and then you have something to share with other people, it becomes a lot of fun. Uh, finding personal joy, participating in important things, 
building treasure in heaven, extending God's love. If you think about it, when you give of yourself to someone else, you're actually sharing something God has given you with another person. So you actually become like a channel of God's blessing to that person. Rather than thinking, how can I bless myself? You say, how can I take what God has given me and bless others? And again, that really is the key to joy. So the first pathway or the first type of generosity that we'll talk about is what we see demonstrated by the Good Samaritan, and that is compassionate generosity. Okay, Compassionate generosity begins when I look through Jesus' loving eyes at people and situations. So when you see needs and you're selfish, you would tend to see those needs as some sort of barrier to you. Like, oh man, now there's a person, I'm, I'm going to look bad if I don't help them. You know, you're, 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 you've got a bad attitude about meeting needs. But when, you, when your heart fills with compassion, you actually want to meet needs. You're looking for opportunities to serve and care and share. All right? And really, the, the people who are compassionate givers, it's like they have their radar up and they're always looking for the next opportunity to give some sort of a value, right? You might give thanks, you might give encouragement, you might give praise, you might give prayer, you might give money, you might give time, you might give energy, you might give talent. There's lots of things you can give, but you're always wondering, Lord, I, I'm not here living this day just for me. So what will be the next opportunity that I have to give something, to share something, to help someone, to bless another person? So when you look at the Good Samaritan story, if you look down to verse 33, I thought we could just kind of make a little mental list here of what this Samaritan actually gave. It's actually pretty impressive. He gave a lot, okay? So you think, here's a person who had his own agenda, like he was on the road for his own reason, wherever he was going that day. He stopped, and he totally took a new turn here, all out of compassion. So let's, let's walk it through. Then a spy Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, going over to him, which was the first, say he gave a little bit culturally there because it would not have been kosher for him to do that, right? In fact, you might even think if this is, if their cultures are at odds, if they're kind of enemies, a really bad attitude might say, ah, man, I kind of hope that guy dies. It's one less of my enemies I have to deal with in the future. Good Samaritan didn't think that way. He went over, he crossed the bridge culturally says, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. So where did he get those? Like we're out in the wilderness right now on kind of a desertish type road. Where did the olive oil and wine come from? This guy's own supplies, right, for his journey. So he's sharing out of what he has that he had already set aside for himself. It's not like, you know, he probably carry around a bunch of extra. This is what he would have needed. And then it says he bandaged his wounds, they didn't have like first aid kits. So what would these bandages be? Probably pieces of cloth from this guy's own, whatever, tunic or coat or something on his donkey. Like he's ripping apart his own stuff and bandaging up this guy who he doesn't even know. He might not have even known his name. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. So... Who would have been riding the donkey before this happened? The Samaritan either would have been leading the donkey with you know, supplies on it, or he would have been riding the donkey. But now he gives up his seat, and he walks. So he gives quite a bit there. 
took, care of, took him to the inn. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. So the next day means he spent the night helping this person. He gave up a lot of time and a lot of agenda, a lot of schedule had to change here to do this. Then he gives two silver coins to cover the cost. Well, I don't exactly know what that would mean, you know, their economy versus ours, but just think about it for us. If you had to put somebody in a hotel and kind of take care of them, feed them or whatever for a day, maybe two days, what, what do you think that'd be? A couple hundred dollars? I mean, a pretty significant gift there. Telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. So he even gave a promise for more giving if necessary. So I look at all that and think that good Samaritan, his compassion motivated him to actually give a lot in the face of this need that he didn't know was coming. So it wasn't like he had planned to meet an almost dead guy on the side of the road and help him out. This all was an aside from whatever the Samaritan would have done. So that's what he gave. Let me ask you this. Why did he give it? Now, the story doesn't actually say, other than it gives us the motive of compassion. Why do you think you, if it was you, why would you be doing it? Some sort of altruism or humanitarianism in your heart, right? You would have thought, like, here's a person in great need. But this isn't a person that you would normally want to be with. Like, well, maybe the Samaritan did have a godly perspective on life. I mean, maybe he was saying, hey, this is, you know, there's a person that matters to God. I, I should step in and help when no one else apparently is going to help. But that compassion motivated him to go above and beyond, to give and serve and care way beyond himself. It wasn't easy, compassionate giving, which there's nothing wrong with, but, you know, you think easy is, you know, text this code, give $5, walk away, forget about it. That's not, this was actually like, a big deal this guy had to do. All right, one more question. How do you think he felt after giving? So again, we, we don't know. It doesn't say what the Samaritan did next, but how would you feel? Would you walk away just really angry and frustrated that your plan for the last two days got turned upside down? Man, I had to share my olive oil. Who wants to do that, you know? Would you have had a bad attitude after this? I don't think so. What, what would you probably be feeling if you had just done sort of that epic of a good deed? You'd be feeling pretty good about your life, yourself, your priorities. Wow, I'm, I'm kind of grateful I had an opportunity to help somebody like that. You would feel joy in your heart as a result of being able to give. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, and the only way that you know that is when you do it. And when you do it, you feel it, and then you're like, ah, that's what Jesus was talking about. I would never know other than experience that that's the case. So we're going to do a few questions and then a few ideas about how we could be a little bit more like the Good Samaritan, how we could develop compassionate giving in our lives, in our hearts. So here's some questions. Lord, what needs do you want to use me to meet today? I just want you to imagine if you woke up and instead of thinking, what needs do I have today? What if your first thought was, Lord, what needs do you want to use me to meet today? Life would be a lot more interesting, right? a lot more variety of things happening to you if you're looking out at others instead of just looking after yourself. Okay, how about this one? How can I add value to this person, group, or situation? But actually, it makes interactions a lot more interesting. The third question there, instead of what can this person offer me, 
wonder, what can I offer them? So maybe you meet someone and, you know, man, if you're, if you're busy and you're like kind of looking at your watch and you're like wor- worried about getting on to the next thing, you might miss an amazing opportunity to serve or care or show Jesus' love to someone, right? So instead of meeting someone and thinking like, how do I get past this because this person is sort of a barrier in my way, look at people and say, well, how can I, what can I offer? Well, maybe I have something. And, and you know, what you find as you go through life is that just about everybody has needs. And you probably have ways of helping meet those needs. It could be as simple as seeing someone and realizing they need encouragement. And you have it. Like, you could offer encouragement, right? But it takes you stepping outside of yourself and your own needs and going, you know what? I'm actually not here just for me. I'm here for them. So, Lord, how can I be a channel of your blessing to that person? Uh, what wise investment could I make right now to bless others? Obviously, you need some wisdom involved because sometimes if you just, you know, kind of reactively give to need, you might be in, in kind of enabling someone to keep doing the wrong thing. Just because someone needs something doesn't mean they necessarily should get it. Um, when, when I was first in the ministry, um, I worked at a church that was right on kind of a major highway. So we would get all sorts of probably... I mean, very regularly, at least a few times a month, maybe even once a week, we would get kind of drifters who would come in looking for money or gas or food or something. And so if you were at the church that day, you know, they come up to you and they, they would start asking. And what I realized very quickly is that most of the people that were coming in were lying to me, right? Believe it or not, they're actually people that they just go church to church looking for handouts. So they have a big story about how they broke down, you know, eight miles down the road they've been walking, they really have to go see their son, and they, somebody's counting on them, and they haven't had lunch yet, and like, is there any way that we can help? So, you know, the first few times when you work at a church, you kind of, you know, you just get right involved in the story, your, your heart for Jesus loves that person, you give them, you know, you might even give money from your own pocket, and then you also think, okay, does the church have anything we can give them? And so you're filled with compassion. And then you realize the whole thing is a big sham. It's a big lie because you see the same person again later with a different story. And uh, so what happened to me over the course of manning the office at that church was my heart got harder and harder toward anybody who would walk in the door, which was not a great, you know, you come in like looking for prayer or pastoral help or something and pastor's kind of angry you show up. It's not a really good place to start. But my heart was actually pretty hard because it happened so often, right? So this guy came in, just kind of looked the part, you know, and I just thought, and I just thought, I remember right when he came in, I could already tell what he wanted before he even started talking. And I thought to myself, there's no way he's getting any of my money or our church's money. That was, the, that was where I started the conversation. So this guy told me a story about, you know, his son was sick or, you know, some, something really, a sad story. And I basically just said, we can't help you. And then I gave him the paper to fill out if he wanted to, like, apply for, from the fund or something. And, you know, the guy just uh, shook his head and said, okay, you know, thanks anyway. And, and put his shoulders down and walked out the door. A few minutes later, I realized, just as I was adding up what had just happened, that this guy was probably telling the truth. And I had just very coldly sent him away. And made me feel pretty sad about what had happened to my own heart. Like I had lost compassion entirely 
for this, these people, you know? And uh, so in that moment, I realized if I'm going to make an error in generosity, I would rather error toward giving than error toward not giving. Because I'd rather occasionally be taken in by somebody's fake story and lose a few bucks than not help the person who actually really needed a hand. Um, but that's all something you pray for. You pray for God to give you wisdom as you seek to be compassionate. Because once you start extending compassion, you will find needs all over the place. Um, and so it's just a matter of saying, okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm here to be a channel of your blessing to other people. Would you help me have a good heart attitude about blessing other people, but also kind of the wisdom to know when it's not quite so cut and dry. Here's a couple ideas for compassionate giving. One is to pre-prepare for hospitality. Um, at, at our house, I know my, my wife Melissa is very gifted at hospitality, so she loves like cooking dinners for people. We like having people over. We have a room set aside for guests if they come. And one of the things that we have found over the years is it's actually really helpful to have a little bit of a prepared game plan because you don't know when your next Good Samaritan situation is going to happen. That's kind of helpful to have the olive oil ready, right? That there's a way to be ready for those scenarios. And so you can kind of think like, hey, if we have guests, here's what we'll do. Um, or we'll kind of have some of the supplies ready. We'll have a rhythm ready. And uh, if you just kind of have the mindset of saying, Lord, I don't know who I need to share love with today. I don't know who will need help, but to be ready to extend love. Kind of goes to the next one. Um, it actually opens up all sorts of doors of opportunity to be ready to extend love. Kind of goes to the next one, keep shareable money nearby. Over the course of um, my life, I've usually had in my mind, um, sometimes even on my budget spreadsheet, money set aside to give or to share that is not allocated. So like, you know, sometimes you plan ahead, like here's what I'm going to give to the church or give to some mission. But then sometimes I would set aside money just to give to whatever might come up, not knowing. And that money is actually a lot of fun. It's, it's kind of like a giving slush fund that you know, you know you've got it. You know you've already set it aside, so it's not yours. It's now the Lord's, but you're looking for who might need it, who might need help. So one day somebody came to me, and they weren't asking for anything. They, just, they were just telling me about their day, and, and God reminded me of this money that I had set aside. And... The, uh, the, the guy was telling me about how his uh, you know, life was really difficult. There was just multiple challenges he was facing. And he was like, you know, on top of all that, the brakes went out of my car. And so I've got to deal with that today. And, uh, you know, we're just two buddies kind of comparing notes. And when he said that, that's when it, I was reminded of the money that I had set aside just to bless somebody. So I said, well, hey, how, what did they quote you for the brake job? And he said, man, it's like $390. I said, okay. I pulled out a checkbook and wrote a check. It was super fun for $390. I handed it to him and said, I hope this helps. Going through a hard time, here you go. Man, the guy started crying. He was just couldn't believe that happened because, I mean, he wasn't even seeking any help. It was, just, it was just an opportunity to be a good Samaritan in a moment because there was some pre-preparation. Normally, now, not everybody try this at once because I'll run out of money really fast, but, um, you know, normally... It's, you can't just pull out your checkbook and meet a need, you know. But I had already set it aside, so it actually wasn't even hurting me to do it. I was ready to give. That's what makes this a lot of fun. So as you're planning to become compassionate and generous, 
You might say, I'm, I'm going to plan ahead even for the situations I don't know are coming, and then I'm ready. When, when God brings something to my attention that I can help, I'll be ready to help. Um, by the way, just, just to celebrate something, our, our church has a fund like that. We call it the Help Fund. A lot of you have given to it over the years. So when needs come to the attention of our church staff team uh, or our deacons, we're able to like, kind of evaluate those needs and actually help people as well. And that's, that's one of the most fun things about ministry is when you get to give, when you get to meet a need. Um, and so I say that so that you know that that's available. Like if you run into a need that you can't help meet, I would always say that's the first step is you see if you can meet it, but you say somebody could help. Maybe you know, let the church know there's all sorts of opportunity to serve and share and care for others. Uh, use holidays as an excuse to give. So one cultural thing that's kind of weird, at least in America, is that if you try to give someone something, they sometimes they get offended. Has that ever happened to you? Like, oh, I don't, I don't need help. I don't need charity. Like, it's some sort of a pride thing of like, I don't want to admit that I might not have it all together. So holidays are a great cover to be able to be generous to people because they can't turn you down. So if you think there's someone I really want to help, but I don't know quite how to break the ice, um, use Christmas as your example. Hey, we just decided to bless you this Christmas. Here you go. And, uh, and maybe there's a birthday or maybe there's another holiday you can use. Um, but that's a great way to be able to share love with people who maybe otherwise you wouldn't have any reason to connect with them or give to them. Uh, and then be intentionally or help someone who can't help you back. It's a good principle just to kind of keep your own motives in check. The Bible talks about giving to orphans and widows in their distress. Um, that if you give just to the rich neighbor who then gives right back, you know, it's kind of like there's nothing really wrong with that, but that's not the same thing as giving selflessly. Uh, when you give to people who there's no way they can help you back, uh, that's really demonstrating the generosity of Jesus to that person. And then uh, be intentionally curious about specific needs. So a great way to do that is when someone says, you know, you kind of ask how they're doing and they say something that's not like anything short of perfect. You go, well, tell me more about that. And just here, and you know, you might encounter needs that you have no way of helping. That's very possible. But maybe you could. I mean, maybe someone tells you a little bit more and you're like, you know what, I could give you some prayer right now. Uh, maybe someone tells you what their need is and you say, I could come over to your house and help you with that. Um, or I know someone who could help you. you know, just as you start looking at people thinking, how can I help or how can I add value? Uh, as you ask them questions, you might uncover ways that you could be a blessing that otherwise would have passed right by. So some of this is a matter of being curious. Kind of goes back to the illustration of having your radar on. You're sort of always looking for opportunities. Going, God has given me so much in my life, I'm ready to share with someone else. So Lord, would you just point that person out? Would you bring that opportunity to me. So here's the challenge I wanted to give you this week, and this is kind of the warm-up then to the real series beginning that'll happen next week. And that is whenever I notice a need this week, my first reaction, so that's way deep in your heart, my first reaction will be compassionate giving. So other potential first reactions would be ignore it, might even be get angry at the person for, you know, man, your life's not together. What's wrong with you? You know, there's all sorts of things we could do. But here's the, this week, Lord, would you help my first reaction to seeing a need to be compassionate giving? Even say, Lord, what have you put in my hands 
that I could share with this person? How could I bless this person? Maybe even to the point of erroring to the side of giving too much versus not giving enough. Um, it might mean, like the Good Samaritan, that you have to divert from your plan. That's okay. It might mean that you don't have, like something you were planning on having for yourself, you no longer have it because you gave it away. That's okay too. Because you're saying, Lord, my, my life isn't actually about me to begin with. So I'm, I'm ready. I'll be compassionate. I'll be generous when the moment comes. Lord, would you just show me the moment? And uh, I believe if you have that mentality this week, you will encounter needs. You will have the capacity to meet them in ways you didn't expect. And God will provide for you as you bless others. That's one of the really neat parts of how faith works. Because as you step out in faith and say, I'm going to meet needs of other people, even though you yourself have needs, right? I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of you have needs? Yeah, yeah. So those, you won't have all your ducks in a row before you can help someone. Like if you wait, you'll never get to give. But instead you say, Lord, even though right now I have my own problems and my own things I'm hoping for a miracle on, I want to be a channel of blessing to someone else. God will provide for you and God will provide you opportunities to help others. And it's really exciting to watch how faith works when we take that step. So that's the challenge this week. Next week, we'll look forward to hearing you know, what the Lord does as we all go out with compassion in our hearts to serve and share and care for others. For now, let's pray and commit that challenge to him. Lord, uh, thank you for entrusting us with so much time, energy, words of encouragement, perspectives, dollars in our bank account, talents that we could share, even uh, things that we could go out and do. Lord, you, you have been, you've given us a lot, and we want to be channels of blessing to others. Uh, so Lord, I pray that you would help our attitude to adjust here, and that rather than worrying about what our minimum required amount of love or giving would be, Instead, we would catch the vision for really being a loving and giving person. Uh, Lord, rather than worrying about exactly what you want us to do so that we can move past it, Lord, we want, we want to know what you want us to do so we can just jump into it and give it our all. Thank you for demonstrating this kind of love to us. Lord, as you walked in this world uh, you, you had so much compassion, and you showed the way, you, you lit the way for us on this, and today we want to follow you. Jesus, as we meet needs this week, I also pray for all of my brothers and sisters in the room that you would meet our needs this week. Lord, that just as you would call us to give to others, that if there's a need here in the room, that you would call someone to meet that need. Lord, you can, you can arrange for all that to happen in supernatural ways. So we trust you with that. Right now, we just want to walk by faith. So we commit that to you right now. Look forward to what's next. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.